Welcome to BusinessWorks. This is Hal Alpior along with Johnny Stites, and we're talking today about product planning and about leadership and teamwork and all those good things. And I'm just going to start out, Johnny, by uh, mentioning that we've covered this before, and we will probably cover it again because it's kind of a mainstay of business for everyone doesn't matter what your business is. doesn't matter if you're a heart surgeon or you are a retail store. There are five steps that you must take to have a plan. If you don't take all five and do all five all the time, you only have a wish list. And there's a big difference. So what are the five? You might get your pen out here. It has to be specific. It has to be flexible. It has to be realistic, it has to be due dated, and it has to be in writing because when you take it out of your brain, down your arm, into the pen, onto the paper, there is a physiological connection that's different than punching it into a computer or your cell phone. So uh, those five things, specific, flexible, realistic, due dated, and in writing, let's start with that because that's what it takes to have a plan instead of a wish. And now uh, Johnny has given me some papers here that look pretty interesting about how to uh, – the process. First of all, we're talking about leadership and management. I think you had those uh, down, how that relates, and then – or maybe backwards, I don't know, the three-step process uh, idea. Well, I teach the people that I work with that if you're going to have a process, there's three three steps to it. And it's different, a little bit different than what you just went through. Well, it's two steps But the first shorter. one is exactly the same. <laughs> it's step one, identify. You have to know what it is. You identify your handful of core processes that it takes for your company to be successful. So that equates with specific. That's yes. right, specific. The second one, which you, I think, had at the last, was document. One at a time, you record the major steps in each of the core processes so you have to write them down. And the reason for that is you want it to be down on paper so that everybody on the leadership team can read it and identify, yes, that is correct. And once everybody believes that this is the correct way to document how to handle this process, then everybody must agree to follow it, followed by all. So that's the due dated and in writing part. Um, That's right. And then, and then and the then, final part, you package it up, which I don't think you covered in yours. You package it so that anybody that is in the company can go back and open it up, find it easily. It's got a title on it. Flexible. That, flexible. <laughs> and then they can refer back to it so that they don't deviate from the core process. Okay. Because every time you deviate, you create an issue in the company. So, again, realistic, too. That. That, yeah. that, so when you come all down to this, all right, it's not that this is in concrete. It's that you have to start thinking in, in these directions to have anything come out that makes sense and that actually ends up working for you. And, and one so, final thing, too, I might add here is when yeah. you're doing the package, you actually give the process a name. So you might call it the ABC way or this is our franchise model. I guarantee you Red Lobster or um, McDonald's right. or any franchisee has an exact model that they have to follow. It's their franchise way, uh, their operating model, their standard operating procedure, any number of, of titles so that everybody in that business 
referring to this process, refer to it by the same nomenclature, the same name. We, we've heard um, recently in the news uh, people talking about moving goalposts. <laughs> it, it's not a, a recommended thing in at many aspects of business, but when it comes to planning, once you've set something up in motion the way that we're talking about, it, it does take periodic adjustment. And so it's not something to be afraid of to make a change in terms of uh, how you are going to get to something or what it is you want to reach because that's the flexibility aspect. But and, and it's okay how, to make an adjustment. It's important to us to agree that if you're going to make a change, then everybody gets together, you talk about the change, right. you agree to the change. You have to buy into it. And then – you agree to follow the change right. because you don't want five Mavericks and a company just kind of saying, well, this arbitrarily is okay, doing that. arbitrarily right. changing things because if you do, you're going to create yeah, all kinds of issues. Thank you for clarifying that. That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we are talking about um, th- what to include in a product plan and how to make use of that thinking. You want to start with listing or itemizing things. Um, and if it's a plan, then it looks to the future, of course. It is to be presented to outsiders. Then it needs to include practical descriptions of the technology involved. And I recently had a, a prospective client, somebody who's interested in, in working with me, come to me and bombard me with all the technological details of the equipment that he was selling um, and and I said, you know, <laughs> even though you're selling to a specialized market, I think that people who see this are going to walk away uh, because they're not going to understand it. You haven't taken the time and trouble to explain it in simple language. So so that's an important aspect of all this as well, that it has to be clear uh, in how it's represented. Uh, Johnny, you had some of these um, – uh, you want to yeah, talk was, some more about these steps here? And I was going to fo- follow up this three-step process. Good. By saying that once everybody agrees to follow it, there's a checklist. It's followed by all checklists. And this is when your core processes are documented, simplified, packaged, and approved by the leadership team. Then you get everybody to follow it in the company. And what this will do, it will create consistency and scalability and efficiency and ease of management. It will actually make your company more fun to be there. You'll have peace and profitability for your organization. And if we can have more fun doing what we're doing at our workplace, that's important because we're there more than we are at home. What do you do when a key employee disagrees with you? If a key employee disagrees, then you can bring it up through the step and you can identify what it is they're talking about. And then you can discuss with everybody what changes this might make and whether or not those changes would be helpful or a hindrance. Because many times an employee who's looking at a very myopic way at the process, only the part that affects him, doesn't understand that if I make this change, I'm changing downstream a whole lot of other people's lives in a bad way. Right. So you bring it in, you help the employee to understand it, and then you expect them to follow it. Now, if you want to change it because they made a good suggestion, which we did uh, often in our company, Everybody gets together, you change the process, and then the employee gets the credit for it, and then you make the change. Tell me about what it's like. Uh, There's something here called letting go. (laughs) And if you are the owner or the manager of a business and you have a concrete 
thought about where you're headed with it. And then someone brings up an alternative direction that doesn't seem to fit it, and yet they seem to make sense with it. And and does it come to a point where you, you want to let go perhaps of some of what your direction is? Uh, and if so, how do you do that? Well, my experience was that one of two things happened. Either I understood what they were saying and I agreed with it as the owner of the company, and I felt like it would be helpful for the long-term strategy of the company, or I didn't. If I agreed with it, we made the change. If I didn't agree with it, I explained why we were doing it this way. I expected them to continue to follow it the way we were doing it. And if they didn't, we got rid of them. We told them, you can't stay here. We'll finish up with that thought and be back to you in just a couple of minutes. Welcome back to Business Works. This is Hal and Johnny. We are talking about product planning. And uh, Johnny has a little checklist here we want to talk about because we think this applies to literally every business. It doesn't matter whether you're wholesale, retail, manufacturing, services, uh, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. If you're in business, then you need to do some planning. And the kind of planning that uh, we're talking about uh, needs to be um, realistic and specific, flexible, all those things we talked about. But Johnny has some specific points he wants to run through with us. I think, uh, Johnny, if you can help us with uh, – um, I see something here about taking the train. I, I don't know what that means. We're supposed to get oh, it's on a four-part checklist. And take and the train to Nashville. And <laughs> no, how? Um, there's a four-part checklist, and it's important to understand that the people who are administering – your work are only going to be as good as you train them to be. It's seldom that anybody, no matter how much experience they have, can come in and effectively apply all of your processes. So the first step of be, of making sure that you're follow that it's being followed by all this plan that you have is to train people. You train them in uh, all the processes that they're going to be involved in. You train them in meetings, special training sessions, or learning management systems, uh, which is how we help them often. So the, it's not just training uh, on skills. It's also training attitude kind it's, of things. It's as training well. how to apply the process ah, that you've okay. documented and simplified and packaged. So once you get them trained, then you want to measure the performance because if you aren't measuring it, you don't know whether they're doing better or not right. or whether even – I've often heard that you cannot improve what you don't measure because you don't know if you're improving or not. So you measure performance on a scorecard and you confirm that everybody is complying with the steps in each process. So your measurements might be at each process checkpoint or it could be at the end. I think you'd need them at each checkpoint, but not for the management team, but for the people actually doing the work. So they'd know we, for instance, we had a good day report that told our men if whether you're hanging sheetrock or putting floor tile down or carpet or putting up uh, steel, here are the measurements and here's how much you need to get done in that amount of time. So they knew if they were making the budget or if they were doing being successful for the company. So we confirmed that, that all the activities that are required for success are being done properly and with enough frequency to achieve the goals. So you train them, you measure what they're doing, and then you lead and manage and hold everyone accountable so that they follow the process. You make sure your scorecard numbers 
the measurements, keep on track, and you call out any issues that are a problem. So if you find a problem where you're just not meeting the goal, you're not meeting the measurement that's been set up, maybe you've got the wrong measurement, maybe you've got the measurement too high, but you need to, it makes you look at it, and you need to look at it very intently and deliberately. And then finally, to your point earlier, you were talking about being flexible. There may come a time when you need to update the core process, but everybody does it collectively and as a team so that everybody still understands it the same way. And perhaps that's the hardest thing because you've been doing it this way for a year. Now you've got to stop, rethink it, start a different way. That I think those are important ways to keep your team on board. And when issues arise, sometimes the process is the reason. So you got to know that and work hard to clean it up, can you, simplify. Yeah. Can you give me an example of what you mean by that? So sometimes the process is the is the. Well, sometimes problem. when you have issues that, for instance, if you are in the construction business and you are out here setting up steel buildings. Right. It could be that the process you have set up, the methodologies they use, are costing you more money than it should. So you change the process. Maybe instead of using this kind of a crane, I use a different kind of a crane. Oh, okay. And I have smaller teams instead of one big team. So th- this is really a very much like a sports team, <laughs> yes. in, in a sense. And coming up on uh, World Series time, of course, we're we're looking at a lot of that. But so the how do you get people to make adjustments on the on the spot? Um, let's say you're halfway through constructing something, and um, you uncover an area that uh, is very costly because of the amount of time it takes, or something like that. How do you get people to step back and and rethink what they're doing, and and maybe have to restructure the whole approach here? Well, it could be as simple as making the process not so specific. Uh, we had a one time we had a project where we had a uh, one of our managers laid out a building and it was four feet too long. Now, we had to pay for the concrete that it took to make it four feet longer. But the thing that really cost us was all the bar joists that we had ordered for this building were four feet too short on one of the bays. What is a bar joist? That is a structural member for the roof. Okay. And so we we took that structural member and just put it in our pocket. It was this $250,000 mistake. Mm. We changed that process so that one man no longer went out and laid it building out, and we built on that. He laid it out, and then somebody else came behind him starting at a different point and laid it out a different way so that the likelihood of him repeating the same mistake was less. So he might start on a different corner and measure the building, lay it all out, and make sure it did match. So it worked out great. We didn't have that mistake anymore. Uh, well, so that's uh, that's pretty important, then, the measurement part. Uh, we're going to take a quick break right now. I hope you'll come back and stay with us. Welcome back to BusinessWorks. Uh, the number one rule we came up with during the break, which applies to all of this, is for employees to think like the owner. And when they can do that, um, you know, that's that's probably all downhill, but that may involve some major consumption of time and effort and energy um, and perhaps money to make that happen. And uh, I was going to ask Johnny in his experiences, 
um, especially with the examples that he just gave for uh, for us. How do you get people to think like the owner? What is it that you do there? Now, I, I've run some training sessions on that, but I had, I'm not sure on the front lines what that how that translates. Well, my experience was that there good ideas come from many different places. If I, as the owner of the company, thought I was the only one that ever had a good idea out of the 125 people we had, I was really stupid. I shouldn't think that way. I shouldn't think that the whole world revolved around me as the owner. So we found ways to incentivize the people who are working with us by saying to them, you are important. You are professionals. The things you're doing can't be done by professors or heart surgeons or lawyers or doctors. The thing that is important is that you understand the knowledge you have is valuable and you need to use it wisely. And we expect you to come up with good ideas that make sense for the owners we're working for. And if you do that and the owner's delighted, then you get a bonus. How do you instill that sense of responsibility that you're talking about? Well, in my personal experience, it took five years of saying to people that worked with us in the field, you are professionals, you are professionals, you are professionals. And finally, after five years, one of the leaders said, we're professionals, and that's why we do it this way. <laughs> and you think, oh, you had please. a celebration. <laughs> yes. And it, it, to us, it involved uh, helping them to understand when you are professional, then you treat your wife differently. You treat your kids differently. You treat the community differently. You're more responsible for everything that you're doing. And so we tried very much to build an uh, environment where all the people in our company felt like the things that they were doing were helpful and that they were significant to the success of the company. Um, let me give you a couple examples. Yes. We're out here working for uh, a company in McMinnville, a big, big company. They were making an addition, and our, we had a subcontracted job from them of taking down some metal panels and putting up new metal panels on an existing concrete wall that came up about six feet. The six feet was to keep the metal panels from being damaged by fork trucks. So they built a concrete wall up and years ago, and then they put these metal panels, and they had sealed them with some kind of a sealer that literally um, had made adhesive to the wall. Um, we started chiseling on that, trying to get it out. It's going to take forever. We were going to run way over. One of the men in the field said, well, why don't we try a boat winch? They took a steel cable, hooked it to one of the beams of the building, ran it through the, con the connection between the sheet and the concrete wall, and then tied it to one of their trucks, and then they just cranked this uh, wire down the wall, and it just cut like uh, butter down through there and separated that wall. We made a ton more money than we would have had we kept trying to just beat around on it. And we got way ahead for the contractor that we were working for and made them look good, too. And here we are, 30 years later, that man who's in charge of that job saw me on another job in Nashville two weeks ago and commented on how well that job had gone. So so this really, it, it, this really supports what you were just saying it about um, teaching people to think like professionally. 
That's right. And, and be professional. That and man it, got a bonus that year. That's how it pays that. off. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Another example was we were in Nashville working in a restroom, and we were supposed to clean marble. It was all around this restroom from uh, years and years of buildup. And so one of the men, after working with uh, steel wool and Comet and everything that you can possibly think of, even bleach, was not able to get this debris off of the wall. So one of the guys said, you know, I wonder if WD-40 would do good. And he went in there and started spraying WD-40 and cleaning this wall, and it just came right off. I mean, it was so easy, and we made quick work of that, and that that was a laborer on our job who went to his car, got his WD-40, and came up there and sprayed it to try it out. And we saved a lot of time, a lot of money on that project, and that was a laborer who got the bonus on that occasion because he was thinking, thinking outside the box, trying to say, well, if this were my job, how would I do it differently? So rewarding and recognizing yes. people is important. It's the, um, according to Gallup, it's the most important thing. Because that, that motivates. People, yeah. Yeah. So then they come back and do more. That's right. Um, and now he's spraying everything with that. That's right. <laughs> you got to keep your expectations clear. You got to communicate it to your people exactly what you expect of them. And in our case, there were four distinct things that we expected of our people. We measured all four of them. Uh, first was safety. Don't get anybody hurt. Second was finish the job on time because we want to keep our word. Contractors are known for not coming when they say, not doing what they say, not finishing when they say. That's not going to be us. Third, we wanted the owner to be delighted with our work, not pleased, not satisfied, not disappointed, delighted. And then finally, we wanted our men to finish this job on budget. Don't run over. If you can run under, great. Don't take shortcuts. If you take shortcuts, that penalizes. It gets charged back against your bonus. So they never did that. And even if we'd ask them to, they wouldn't because they were professionals. They didn't want to put out bad work. So those four things were the way we That's communicated great. what yeah. we ex- we expected of them. Well, that you, you hit right on the money with that. Um, having ongoing conversations with people is what makes that all possible. Um, having meetings with people and treating them um, in, in a professional manner, no matter what their role is, uh, that that all builds yeah. up and leads to the same. And thing. as we said, recognizing appreciation, according to Gallup's poll, is the number one thing that employees want out of their business. All right. Well, that's a great way for us to wrap up today. And we thank you for your time and uh, look forward to seeing you come back next week. This is Hal Alpiar along with Johnny Stites for BusinessWorks. You can reach us at hal at businessworks.us. We'll be happy to answer any questions or take any suggestions. Thank you. Have a great week.